where we're going to be in Philippians 1 today. Now, this is a little bit tricky because we're going to be in the book of Philippians later on in the year. But as I was thinking about our series called, you know, Foundations, this really helps to frame the year, the teaching of the year. It serves as a kind of a foundation. When I use this term framing, it's uh, when, when I would run ropes course and teach group dynamics, we would frame each event. So we would talk about the purposes of the event. We would talk about what the needs are in the event. We would talk about some of the goals in the event, and that's called framing. We would help people understand kind of what are we to do and what are we not to do, and how should we approach this event. And again, that's called framing. So this passage in Philippians, really, not just this series on foundations, but for our year, this passage in Philippians really frames kind of where we're going in 2023 for, with our teaching. And so a few things that you should know, we'll revisit these when we get into uh, the book of Philippians itself, but just for today's purposes, some context that really lends to the teaching today that's helpful, some things you should know about the book of Philippians, um, some basic things. One, at Philippi is a town where this little group of Philippians was located, was founded by its namesake, Philip of Macedonia. Now, Philip of Macedonia was actually the father of Alexander the Great. And so as a result of that, he had a heart or a real passion for soldiers. And so Philippi was a retirement community of sorts for Roman soldiers, for old mercenaries, where these these guys who had been in the military went to retire and die. And so that's what the town of Philippi was, there was so many Greeks, so many Romans there, um, so lack of Jewish people that there was actually no synagogue in Philippi. And so when Paul goes to Philippi to share the gospel, he faces some opposition because Philippi and its being filled with Roman soldiers was known for its patriotism and nationalism. Can you imagine going down somewhere near Fort Knox, if, if you've ever been down there, there's like Army, Navy surplus stores everywhere. And we, Mary and I used to work with troubled teenage boys. We took them down there, and it was a sea of camouflage green at the breakfast buffet at Shoney's. And it's just a military community. Years ago, Isaiah and I went out to San Diego. We loved it. It was conservative, just fantastic people, <clears throat> a lot of retired military people. So there's this there's this sense of pride in America and what we've paid for and what we've done, and we feel very strongly about that. Now, can imagine if a let's say an, an is let's say an Islam guy comes into into San Diego and starts sharing some new truths? Can you imagine the resistance he would get? Well, that's what you have going on in Philippi. So here's this strong military community. They're really proud of their heritage. They think Caesar is God, and Paul comes in, and he starts sharing, well, actually, Jesus Christ is God, and he establishes what is true. You can see the opposition, the pushback. But despite this, Paul visits Philippi three times, and there's this community of Jesus followers 
that's formed during Paul's visits. And one of those significant followers was a a jailer that came to Christ while Paul was imprisoned because he's saying, no, Caesar's actually not God, Jesus is. And so this little band of Jesus followers in Philippi is facing ongoing persecution and hardship as a result of their, literally, their cross-grained cultural reality that even though we're like you, even though we're Philippians, we actually believe that there's a, there's, there's, there's a real God and it's not Caesar. And so they're constantly facing ongoing persecution and hardship, but even in spite of this hardship, they're, they're pressing in like joyfully. And they're expressing their gratitude and faith through their lives and through the fact that Paul Unlike most of his epistles, he he writes to address problems in the church. He doesn't write the Philippians to address problems. They're actually doing really well, and so well that they're kind of as best as they can following Paul's missionary journeys and sending him money so that when he gets to places, they're providing for his needs so that he can keep doing what what he did in their home community. And so they're living out their faith and their gratitude by helping Paul and supporting his missionary journeys. And at least two occasions, and we know this from the end of the book in chapter 4, that they send resources to him. And so this letter is written by Paul actually when he's in another jail in Rome. The Philippians had sent a guy named Epaphroditus with funds to help Paul when he was in prison. Back in the day, the government didn't take care of prisoners. You would lock up prisoners and then their family was responsible to come and feed them and take care of them. And so, if your family didn't come and feed and take care of you, you died there. You starved. So that's what the encouragement was constantly for the church to be paying attention to the prisoners and the widows and the orphans because if prisoners were in jail, they had no family to take care of them. So church, it's your job to take care of them, not the government's. And so the Philippians hear that Paul's in jail in Rome and they say, Epaphroditus, take this money and go and help Paul. When when Epaphroditus is there, it's a long journey He gets really sick while he's there. He almost dies. He gets nursed back to health. And Paul sends him back to the Philippians with this letter to say, you guys are amazing. I love you. I'm so encouraged by you. Thank you for all that you've done for me. And so that's this letter that's being sent to this little group of people. He's not just saying thank you, but then he's also providing encouragement and instruction for their faith. Keep going. Here's how you move forward. Now, many of Paul's other letters, he'll take a single truth or idea, and then he runs it through the entire book. And Philippians is different in that he takes an idea, he plops it into the center of the book, and then there's all these, there's actually six different vignettes. They're like these little snapshots that point back to what's at the center of the book. So rather than one truth running all the way through the book, 
there's a truth dropped in the center, and then everything else surrounds it points to that one truth. And that's that diagram that's in your notes. And this central point that's in the center of Philippians, by the way, I've been in Philippians a lot in my life, never knew this truth before, super exciting to discover. Okay, So at the center of Philippians is this poem. And this poem is known as the kenosis passage. And kenosis is a Greek word that actually means to empty oneself. And so this poem is this passage that grabs passages both from Genesis and then Isaiah chapter 52 and 53 and 54, and Paul weaves them into this poem that centers on the the reality of Christ emptying himself of his godness, if you will, and then taking on the nature of a servant. And so really what it is, it's a beautifully condensed version of the gospel story. As this is really worth us committing to memory. And so it's located in the second chapter of Philippians, verse 6 through 11. The reason I'm bringing this up to you is because, again, this is the central point. And then this, even in the introduction, what Paul is doing is he's praying for the Philippians to realize this kenosis passage. Are you with me? So let's read it. Starting in verse 6. Who, he's talking about Jesus, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But He emptied Himself. That's the kenosis word. By taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What I find super interesting about this letter is that Paul's primary encouragement is for the Philippians to live with joy and holiness and unity or partnership. So we're going to see that theme for sure run throughout the book. And that they should be able to do that, to live with joy and holiness and unity even in the face of great circumstances. But to do that, the Philippians need something bigger than just joy in and of itself, or holiness in and of itself, or unity in and of itself. In other words, you can't get joy and unity and holiness just by saying, hey, we need to live better. And so Paul roots the joy and the holiness and the unity of the Philippians in the example, the life of Jesus Christ himself and his teachings. And so to emphasize that point, Paul makes Jesus the center of his letter. 
the kenosis passage is the center of the book of Philippians. So Paul is not just saying keep Jesus at the center. He's keeping Jesus at the center of his letter as an example that goes along and manifests the very thing that he's teaching or encouraging the Philippians to do. You following me? So just a couple of months ago on November uh, 1st, I met with a group of 14 uh, people from this church, a cross-section, some younger folks, and then as old as I could find them here. And there was 14 of us to consider what are some things that we need to learn as a church from God's Word. And so then in mid-November, I... I took that information along with input from the leadership team and I spent, oh, two and a half days in a little cabin out on the Tecumseh Trail by myself. A couple guys came out and joined me for part of that just to pray and to plan, Lord, what would you have us to study this year? Now, there's a, there's a truth that really doesn't matter. I mean, you could open the Bible and study any part of it. It's going to be beneficial, right? So we can't go wrong. But we have this opportunity to decide, Lord, what would you have for us? What would be most beneficial for us to learn this year? Where are you leading us and what truth will help us on the way? And the consistent input that came up from our leadership team, plus this, I call it a sermon input team, and plus the guys that joined me, around a campfire on the Tecumseh Trail, was this reality about studying the absolutes and the essentials or the foundations of our faith. Our church body is growing. We can't assume that everybody's at the same level of biblical knowledge. And just it's always good for us to get back to the basics, the absolutes, the fundamentals. And what does it look like for us to live out of those realities? And so at first I thought... This idea of foundations, okay, that'll be a great series for us to do together. But I realized the more I studied and prayed for us, that foundations is the theme of our learning for all of 2023. Really excited about that. So we're going to be starting in Genesis. I mentioned that. We'll be in Genesis the first part of the year. And then we're going to be moving into the book of Hebrews. And those two things really parallel each other. So if you know anything about the book of Hebrews, it's going to be talking about the law and how the law doesn't make us righteous. And so we're going to be going right from Genesis into the book of Hebrews and how that correlates together. And then we're going to go into the book of James on now what does it look like for us to apply these fundamental, these absolute truths, which is the argument of the book of James. Here's these foundations. Here's the New Testament version of these foundations. And James says, now let's live it out. So we're going to be rolling through that cycle, and then we'll go back into the book of Genesis, kind of the second half, chapters 11 through 25. Then we're going to be studying Romans, the first part of Romans, which again correlates with that second part. And then we're going to be going into the book of Philippians and then in Galatians, and again saying, how do we apply what we just learned? So these rhythms of foundations, and then New Testament foundation, and then how do we live it and how do we apply it? Then we're going to be Finishing up as we come back into Thanksgiving time, some psalms of gratitude. Lord, thank you for where you've taken us, where, where you're leading us. Thanksgiving, praise for all of his goodness and kindness to us, because he has been good to us, church, Drew. Oh, man. 
And then we're going to finish up uh, with this study of what does it mean when we say your kingdom come, your will be done. What is God's kingdom and how do we live? And so that's going to kind of be the flow. That's an overview of our year and super excited about it. I've also asked a group of guys, um, we call it our Entrust team. They're going to be teaching uh, it, through the book of Galatians in October. So that'll be some of you brothers that have said, hey, sign me up. I want to learn to teach. And we're actually learning to do that um, through the year. And um, they're also part of helping, supposed to be, guys, I need your help, by the way. Genesis is coming up. We've got a lot of info to get through. And these guys are studying and then sending me their best information, participating to make our sermons better by getting collaborative effort and, hey, here's some great stuff that I'm learning. Guys, just really exciting, good stuff, and really thankful. So hope you're excited about that. I certainly am, and just what it means um, to have the opportunity that you guys give me to study the Word, then to return it back to you and help men learn to do the same. It's a gift. I tell you that. I'm telling you, I believe that in my soul. It is a gift, and I'm very thankful to be the recipient. And so during my little mini-retreat, I was considering all of this, and I was drawn to pray. Um, I don't know exactly, just the Holy Spirit. is like, ah, oh, I just thought Paul prayed for the Philippians. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that. So I flipped over to it. And I ended up doing this in a few times, a few different times, and then I mentioned that I did it specifically for all of you. And I just realized Paul opens this letter with two things, gratitude in verses 3 through 8, and then prayer for the Philippians in 9 through 11. So look at verse 3 when he starts his expression of gratitude for this group of believers and how they have loved him so well by funding the gospel reality moving forward. I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making, prayer, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So here we just see this heart of Paul who's expressing an affection and a joy for the Philippians' partnership in his personal life and in his ministry life. And guys, as I was reading and praying through this section, I couldn't help share Paul's gratitude and affection for this church. After 11 years of bivocational ministry here, like that kind of went like this, and those of you who have been around know what I mean. 2022 was actually the first year where you guys 
funded me to be full-time in a shepherding role. It's the first year. And as I sat in the woods and reflected on our church and its history and you, I was filled with this similar gratitude and affection for you. And our partnership in the gospel, like I got it. Like this is a partnership. It's not a job. You know, many times I sit in a coffee shop or in my pole barn. It's a really interesting counseling location. A little dusty. Or leaned up against a car in a parking lot. Or sitting in front of prison glass. Or on the tailgate at a job site. People are thanking me for my time. And I almost always they get a response to some variation like this. My time with you is a gift for both you and me. And there is a group of people that loves God and loves you and me so much that they pay for me to be here. It's a partnership church. You you have freed me to be able to invest. And I'm telling you, it's a gift, not just for me, but from the people that I sit across from on a weekly basis. There's a filling of gratitude and a deeper understanding of the partnership in the gospel that we share and an affection for you and a desire to pray for you. You with me? I am so thankful for our partnership and the way that that impacts our leadership team and how the leadership team functions differently because of your investment in God's gospel work. You ought to feel really good about that. And you ought to know how that works, right? The offering is not just something we do. It has feet. It functions. And you're part of that. And I I truly am filled with a gratitude for you and an affection. Or as Paul tells the Galatians, I have a deep desire for Christ to be formed in you. I really do. And so do your elders. And so, likewise, in this letter, Paul expresses this kind of gratitude. I would, at an exponential level, as he remembers the Philippians and their gifts that allow him to do ministry. It's real. And he also finds motivation to pray for them. I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine for all of you, making my prayer with joy. Why is he doing that? Because they're investing in him. (coughs) This is why Hebrews says, hey people, make your leader's job easy. It's going to go well for you. It's true. It's just the way it works. It's God's plan. God's plans always work. 
And he's confident because of all this that's happening. He's confident that this work that God started with them will be finished by God. This interaction that they're having causes Paul to have confidence. You are going to get where you're going to get because God's going to finish his job in you. So that's his expression of gratitude. And now in verse 9, we come to his prayer. And again, he roots this prayer. He's heading in the direction. He's praying for them to realize this kenosis poem in chapter 2. He wants, he's praying that the Philippians would fill themselves up with this self-emptying Jesus. You with me? That's his prayer. And so he says, my prayer is that your love may abound. My prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise to God. Oftentimes I've heard that Philippians is primarily about joy in all circumstances. That's somewhat true. But again, primarily the book of Philippians is about Jesus at the center of our lives, at the center of the Philippians' lives. And when Christ is at the center, then you will have joy in every circumstance. And so Paul opens this prayer looking towards the life of Jesus. And his prayer, again, is for the Philippians' life to be centered around, to be organized around this life and teaching of Jesus. And then the outcome is three things. Joy, a deep satisfaction and peace regardless of circumstances. And a holiness acting like God, acting like God would on earth. Well, how do we know to do that? Because Jesus showed us. And then unity, a partnership, and a like-mindedness, which is what he's encouraging in chapter 2. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that's a desire that Paul says, have this mind in you, plural, together, that Christ shared. So if we have the mind of Christ and we do that together, we will be unified. So joy and holiness and unity are the overflow and they can only be had if Jesus' life and teaching is central. Church, that's true for us. Okay, In a world where everybody is on trial for a small view here, or a this there, or we can't read that guy's books anymore, or listen to his podcast because he's off on this nuance and this thing. If we don't understand the absolutes, the fundamentals of our faith, and organize our lives around it, we're going to be in these no-no camps all the time. Because we don't understand the foundations and able to weed out and go... The poor guy, he got that wrong, and if I was in that position, I might not have that wrong, but I'd have something else wrong, right? But what I can't get wrong, what we can't afford to get wrong, is these fundamentals, these absolutes, this foundation that we root ourselves in and ground ourselves, and we don't worry about the weeds. 
We cannot have joy and holiness and unity apart from focusing on Christ and his teachings. It doesn't happen. And we get insight on how to keep Christ at the center right here in Paul's prayer for the Philippians. And again, he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. This is a great passage to diagram. Go online, find it, ESV, cut, put it in a Word document, paste, expand it to two spaces, and then start circling and diagramming. This is a, this, you could go on and on with this passage. It's really helpful. But listen, he's wanting their love to abound. How does love abound? Look at the passage. How does love abound? With knowledge and discernment. Oh, wait. So our love can abound. It jumps up and down with excitement. It knows what to do. It grows. How? Because you understand the foundations. Because you have knowledge and discernment. So that you can approve what is excellent. How do I love in this situation? You prove what's excellent. And be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This is his prayer. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. See, if we want to be righteous, that comes through what? Knowing Christ. That comes through Christ to, circle that, all this is for the glory and praise of God. And so there's three things that I want us, so I think it's imperative that we take from Paul's prayer on how we keep Jesus central. One, we pray for one another. And my encouragement is we pray this prayer for one another. This is the most important prayer I think we can pray for each other. That our love would abound in knowledge and all discernment. So that we can approve what is excellent with each other. You with me? So we know how to love one another. So we know what we're doing. And people know, man, this guy knows me so well. He's applying love in excellent ways to me. How do we do that? Because of Christ. But we are praying for one another that our love would abound in knowledge and discernment. The second thing that I think we should take from Paul's prayer is that, that this should be a lens to view our learning. So as we're going through the book of Genesis and then we're jumping over to Hebrews and all this stuff is really good stuff, but if we're sitting there and it's just about learning, we're missing the point, church. We don't do this so we can be better talkers about the Bible. We do this, why? Help me. So that our love can abound. You hearing me? So that we can learn with discernment to apply love. Who is that? It's Christ. So this passage ought to be a lens by which we look at our study in 2023. We ought to be asking ourselves, talking to one another and to our families. Okay, yeah, I got lost when Rob said that. He wasn't making very much sense there. But how do we apply this to our lives so that our love changes? And so the third point that we ought to take is that there's a measurable outcome to this. 
So if we are going to be working hard to be studying through Genesis and then Hebrews, back into Genesis, Romans, we ought to at the end of the year say, I'm a better lover of people. I actually love with more discernment and with excellence. It might be a really good idea to sit around and talk about what would it look like for me in a year from now to love more excellently? Like how would I measure that? Because it's measurable. And this, this prayer that Paul prays is, one, we can pray it for one another. It ought to be a lens for our learning. We see everything through, I want my... Paul says to Timothy, uh, chapter 4, verse 5, the goal of our instruction, he's given Timothy a bunch of things to do. And he says, Timothy, the goal for all of this instruction is what? It's love. The lens to view our learning, Lord, as we're going through Genesis and doing all this cool stuff and we're a theologically grounded church, yeah, but if we're not growing, if our love is not abounding, it doesn't matter. So this ought to be the lens, the the main application point to all of our studies this year. How, kids, how how does our love abound more because of this passage? We ought to be taking that to the bank. And then what are some measurable outcomes? What does that look like for us? What would the spirit-producing fruit joyfully look like? What can we anticipate? We press in. We pray for one another. We look to apply. What can we expect in 2024? Because it's going to happen. And so what Paul is saying is that our love abounds more and more as the result of knowledge and discernment. And so he uses very specific words. This word knowledge he uses is the Greek word epigonosko. It means experiential knowledge. As Augustine says, it's, Augustine says uh, it's knowledge that comes out of our fingertips. It works. It functions. It's not just head knowledge. It causes me to live differently. That's what Paul is praying. I'm praying for you to have a knowledge that comes out your fingertips. And a discernment. And this word discernment means specific application to circumstances. You're able to discern, so you've got this knowledge that's working, and you're able to discern exactly where to apply it. And Paul says, that's how your love abounds. Isn't that awesome? And so combined together, what Paul is praying for is a knowledge that literally springs into action and knows how to apply love to his, their siblings in Christ. That's what he's praying. I'm praying for a, for a love that like, ah, I'm here. It springs into action. It's ready. It's anticipating. And it knows, it's not just zeal without knowledge. It's an excitement and an ability to to sacrificially pursue somebody for their best, and I know exactly what that looks like. And so again, Paul is praying for a knowledge that springs into action and knows how to apply love to our siblings in Christ who are in various circumstances with skill and precision. This is what he means when he says love abounding in knowledge and depth of insight. And the result is, look at verse 10, 
the result of that knowledge abounding is an ability to approve what is excellent. In other words, our ability to love skillfully and excellently is directly tied to our knowledge of Jesus. Think about, okay, so you remember our guest speaker on Christmas Eve, you know, John? When he talked, wasn't that awesome? When he talked about how, so fun to talk about yourself in third person. Don't tell the little kids, but wasn't it awesome how John presented that truth that Jesus has an adulterer and then these religious hypocrites and he addresses both of them with one passage from the Old Testament. What, what happened? He applied love with knowledge and all discernment, and he was able to love excellently both ends of the entire continuum. That's why we go, ah, we're following you, because he's amazing. So how do we learn to love that way? By looking to the life of Christ. You hear me, church? I'm not talking theoretically. Oh, I know Jesus. I know Jesus. I'm thinking, we know. You with me? This is good stuff, white folks. Right? It's awesome. Truly, this is my prayer. When I get animated, sometimes I try to calm myself down. Okay? This is not about me being a good speaker. What I hope you catch is my contagious experience of God's word becoming deeper and deeper and deeper and more wise. That's what you freed me up to do. Like I get really excited about the depth and the wisdom that we find in God's word. That's what I want to communicate to you. We doing okay? We there? So deep and so wise. And the more you study God's word, the more you're going to love it. And if you're not, get some help because you're studying it wrong. Okay, So good. But the result of all this is, church, look at the end of verse 10. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We've got to understand, when we're loving this way, the natural overflow is to us to grow in our ability to be like Jesus so that when He shows up, Christ is cheering at His return. That's why, we, that's why we're motivated. Christ shows up and says, Well done! He's cheering for His glory. And that we participated in it. You know, many of you grew up like me with a theology that Christ's return somehow had gotten bent and warped and became this thing of dread. Did you grow up with that? Oh man, Jesus might be coming back and then I'm going to be in big trouble. That is not how Paul presents the return of Christ. That there's this anticipation and that we're growing in purity and blamelessness for His glory when He returns. We ought to be like ready for Him to come back. How is it that we're ready for Him to come back? Because our love is abounding with knowledge and discernment. 
And as a result of that application, we're growing in our ability to apply that more excellently and we're becoming more blameless and... And what's that other word? (laughs) Pure. The return of Christ is about Him, not us. And because of that, we ready ourselves through love abounding, through knowledge and discernment. And therefore, we can anticipate with joy. The Apostle John says it this way, that we can wait with confidence. So he says this in John, 1 John 4.17, By abiding in Jesus' love, by abiding in Jesus, His love is perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Listen to this. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. That's our hope. And, and church, it's possible. It's possible. You see that? Paul's praying for it because it can happen. That our knowledge, that our love can abound more and more. And what John says is, because as he is, so also are we in this world. We become like Christ, helping people to see him. What does that do? puts his attributes on display, that's his glory. And that's the goal. Here's the end of Paul's stated prayer. To the glory and praise of God. So we do all this. We hear God's word. We pray it for one another. We listen for ways. How do I grow in my ability to love more excellently? We adjust our life so that we joyfully put God's attributes on display as He is in this world, so also are we. And that glorifies, it puts God's attributes on display in the world so that other people say, I want to know Jesus. And where does that start? It starts with our love abounding through knowledge and discernment. And we get to do that here today and every time we gather together. And so, church team, this is why we're going to be working through foundations in 2023 and focusing on these things. Why? So our love can abound more and more. So again, applications. We should be praying for one another. I encourage you to memorize both this prayer and the kenosis passage. And then, Focusing our learning and our life through this lens that of Paul's prayer. I want to be abounding in love as I absorb God's Word. That's the goal. The goal of this instruction is love. This prayer becomes a lens by which I view how to apply all of my learning of God's Word. And then what does it look like for me to do that more excellently, for my love to abound more and more? Jesus, King, wise teacher, brother, rescuer who came to get us. We love looking at your life in scriptures and jealously long to see it tangibly. It can be hard for us, especially little ones, you know, in the room. Just these concepts and how to really see Christ. Father, I pray that myself and anybody else who teaches that we would help that and help us to see Christ more real through your word and 
the living application of what it means to follow Him. So, Lord, whatever teaching comes out of the front of our gatherings together, may it accomplish that purpose more and more. Well, thank You for that. To see Christ in all of His wisdom, the way He loved, the way He could talk to all scope of humanity because His love abounded with true the most pure love, uh, knowledge, and discernment. And we want to be like Him. So that You will be glorified, Father, God in Heaven. And to this end, we thank You for placing the Holy Spirit in us, that this is possible, and we get to participate with joy and enthusiasm. Because of Your great love for us, and because You have saved us from ourselves. We can live unto you. And so may we do that. For the glory of Christ and our joy. Amen.